You're listening to the Safety and Health Podcast by SHP. I'm your host, Rihanna Sexton, and I'm the Assistant Editor of SHP. In this episode, I caught up with Rachel Butler, who is Head of Health, Safety and Risk at property development company Brentwood, on her current role and how she got into health and safety from early beginnings where she was working in administration in the construction industry. Rachel discusses her journey moving up in health and safety, the importance of questioning the way things are always done, the challenges during the pandemic on construction sites, and calls to advocate health and safety in universities to emphasise how diverse the role can be through graduate schemes. At the end of the podcast, Rachel adds in a few more comments on talent shortage, qualifications, and mental health in construction. I started the interview by asking Rachel to tell me a little bit more about how she got to her current role. I actually started my journey off in the construction industry. I started working for a fit-out contractor on reception, for those of you who don't know me. There was an opening within the compliance department and many people do ask why you want to go into the compliance or health and safety team and I turn that round on other people and ask them why wouldn't you want to. So right at the start of the journey there was positive messages actually coming out of that team which intrigued me and I wanted to be a part of it. So there's often a very negative notions around health and safety, which obviously inspired me to learn more. I was fortunate enough with the company that I actually worked for that there was this opening, which allowed me to undertake training, but then back it up with experience whilst on site. So, for example, I would be looking at asbestos awareness training, followed by a site visit to a bank where they were doing like a full asbestos strip out. So I do appreciate that I am fortunate with my experiences and not everybody gets to have that opportunity. So yes, I worked my way through all of my training, backing that up with experiences and quite quickly progressed to assistant SheQ manager and then on to the SheQ manager for the Northwest. Now, I was very conscious that I was working for a fit-out construction company. I wanted to try and expand my skills, knowledges and experiences and go off and brand myself, if that makes sense, because I was always kind of referred to as Rach from reception. That was my background. That was me and who I was. So I did need to go off and rebrand myself in order to progress. So I went to another construction company, which was a nationwide role, and it was just me as health and safety manager. So that was good and bad at the same time because it was right at the coal phase, taking on many experiences, but also whilst the going was good. When it was bad, it could be really bad and really quite lonely out there, I suppose. So I built up a small team, was headhunted at this time for yet again another fit-out contractor, which again was a good experience, lots of different interactions and different types of projects. But I was really conscious that I'd almost niched myself to this fit-out industry And back in around about 2018, I wanted to gain a bit more ground up experience. And I went working for a developer building high rise residential buildings. I've done previously building the sort of retail spaces. So like the Lidl's and large like supermarkets and stuff, but high rise residential buildings, as you know, there's a a lot of regulation and stuff around fire, particularly that's been quite conscious under the eye. 
And coming from this with a slightly different angle and perspective, I suppose, as I was quite fresh to that industry where a lot of people within the construction industry have got probably 30 years plus experience on me. So that was a refreshing opportunity in the fact that we could kind of go in and ask those questions as to why, why do we do things this way? Which, you know, when you do ask the question in construction about why do we do things this way, a lot of the time people's answer would be, well, we've always done it this way. So having that fresh perspective and a bit of a new pair of eyes on it, I feel that curiosity leads to innovation. And we were able to pretty much hash up most of the procedures and stuff like that. And it gave me the opportunity to be able to look at things differently that kind of gave me a good rapport with colleagues and widened my networking across industry. During that time, COVID and the pandemic hit, unfortunately. I think the first thing that got impacted was sort of probably smaller developers who did struggle. So we kind of went down to a bit of a smaller skeleton crew and the, the workload did scale right the way down. And it was at that time that this opportunity presented itself to me at Bruntwood, where I currently am at present. So Bruntwood are a property developer who manage build and maintain properties, mainly commercial offices, but I've recently branched out into shopping centres, town centre regeneration, retail. And biggest thing on our agenda at the moment is the growth within the science, laboratory and technology industries. So yeah, that's kind of where I am today. Utilise lots of different interactions, experiences, good and bad, to be able to learn and grow and utilize that now and make decisions in the really big portfolio that we have and hopefully lead the team to the best of my ability. It really sounds like you've had a well-rounded experience, lots of different backgrounds all coming into one. So could you tell us about what your current role involves? What's your kind of day-to-day? Sure, yeah. So as I alluded to, it's a really big portfolio. Um, With such a big portfolio comes very diverse portfolio of risks, I guess, it would be almost impossible for me to manage every single risk or the team for that matter. So we know about our risks and we support in a way that we help people to control them. So day to day, obviously, as well as as having a team of 12, which takes up considerable amount of time in the day job, we're also looking at strategic projects and making sure that our health safety and risk strategy is really connected to the business strategy and so we can help cities and businesses to thrive and our aim really is to get people to come to work and leave at the end of the day but not just leave but leave feeling better than they did when they came in that's our purpose. And what are some examples of that diverse portfolio that you're saying? What what kind of industries or areas would that be in? Day-to-day stuff, activity. So, for example, yesterday, we could be dealing with a crane lifting plan on one of our projects right the way through to scientific experiments inside science labs. 
So touching on different areas of what we do then in, within the retail sector and people who know and work in the sector will know that you have hundreds of thousands of people. So such a high amount of footfall going through these properties. So we need to ensure that they're safe. We try to do this proactively as much as possible. So by undertaking audits, inspections, um, engaging with the teams out there. But often there is the reactive stuff as well that we do have to deal with accidents and incidents. But it's all about capturing learning from these types of events and ensuring that they don't happen again. So we don't just do investigations on what went wrong, but we also look at what went right. And we try to instill that across all three disciplines, if you like. So it's very bespoke to the different sectors. So like I say, we've got sort of offices to labs or labs to offices, which is a completely different set of risks to that of a shopping centre or a town centre. And then the predominantly the bread and butter of what Brunt would do of making these office spaces so brilliant. Uh, we've got like the commercial office space, retail and leisure. It all looked really differently, but at the end of the day, the, the a, a risk is a risk in whichever way we look at it. So we just try to provide that support to make sure that people know how to control them. It's about communication and engagement, I think, with the workforce. I feel like that leads really nicely onto my next kind of question about how you can stay ahead of compliance and regulation. And um, because we know that the construction industry is quite a complex area, there's lots that's ever changing. As you mentioned, kind of communications key. How, how do you stay ahead of that? I'm a keen networker, which obviously suffered a bit during uh, the whole pandemic. So I am so happy that we can now get together face to face. We were at the Health and Safety Live event again just last week. Um, so liaising with HSE, IOSH, making sure that we're signed up to the branch and districts, getting regular communication. We also have a partnership with a legal company that keeps us abreast of any new legislation, regulation that's that's coming about. Uh, but probably going one step further with that, I was talking about the challenges within high-rise residential and construction with that and was working as part of the new policy. So the challenges that I alluded to earlier around high-rise residential buildings and construction, I was working as part of a group on the policy to inflict new changes with regards to fire and the Working Safety Act. So it's just getting out there and, and trying to make a change will put in the right set of company then to be able to be part of that. And then, as you said, it was quite hard for you during the pandemic to be networking and to be meeting people and, and learning in that way. How was the pandemic for you? I know you kind of touched on it earlier, but how, how was that experience for you? It was a challenging experience, like everybody. I think we've all got our own personal story to tell with COVID. During the time working for a construction company and going down to that sort of skeleton crew kind of exposed us to all sorts of different challenges. So you weren't just the head of health and safety for the company. You were the head of health and safety. You were a project manager. You were a sort of well-being champion and you know it, it kind of allowed connections to grow and like I said it exposes you to to lots of different elements of work and and also people so I think before COVID hit well-being was a bit of a buzzword if I'm honest particularly within the construction industry one of the positive things that I thought we did get from COVID was actually it became the norm to ask people, are you okay? Because uh, clearly people weren't okay. 
touching on the role of being ahead of health and safety during COVID, however, and how do we keep on top of legislation and their guidance? Well, often there'd be days where, well, we weren't just looking daily. We were looking hourly of those updates. And interestingly, because this was a completely new thing for all of us, we all had access to the very same information. But I do feel that people did lean heavily on the health and safety functions during this time. I remember having the the old fingerprint system to get onto construction sites. And that was kind of uh, one of those areas where we quickly had to make changes in order to protect people's health and safety. But it was almost as though it was kind of our fault, if you like. People did need need an area to vent. um, And I get it. I get the whole frustration, but it was a particularly stressful time. I think I remember building my own house as well at that time. So I was kind of living and working on a construction site. But yeah, I think everybody within that industry did really well. It was hard for a lot of people, but positives that did come out of that, not only the the well-being side of things, but also I do feel as though it did help speed up innovations within the industry. So we had to, again, work out quite quickly how people could do a job that was clearly a two-person job and all of a sudden needed to become a one-person job. So lifting, logistics, all of these kinds of things needed to be considered. And like I say, it did speed up a lot of processes in the fact that we were able to then bring in uh, quite a lot of mechanical means, for example. So lifting and stuff. Also, things were did move on quite quickly to become electronic. As we all know, in this world that we live in, you and I are doing this podcast virtually had that not happened would we be doing this now it was probably just tipping on the point but it has sped things up in a good way I do feel so yeah it'd be quite interesting to hear what other people's thoughts and experiences are like of that but yeah that was certainly mine and it was an interesting time and I am glad that we are through the thick of it now but you know it's taught us a lot so like anything let's hope that positives do come out of that you kind of mentioned the well-being side of it, like you kind of got to ask people, are you okay? And everyone was comfortable saying that. How did you feel the reaction was? What was the communication like coming back to you? Did people actually open up or were they just kind of silent and quiet? I think people did open up. I think they did. We were kind of all forced into this situation together, which gave us all common ground, which helped because like I alluded to right at the start of this interview, there was many negative preconceptions around health and safety. And actually, in fact, we are all human and we were all going through this thing together. And I think that sense of naivety helped us have that common purpose. I always say this, I often use it so people will chuckle, but the analogy here is that If you had a physical injury, so you had a a cut on your arm, for example, you'd go and report that to a first aider and you'd get treatment for it. But often people don't see what's going on up here. And I think if you actually say it like that, it does get people starting to think. And whether your, your injury is mental or physical, you know, you need help with that. So, yeah, hopefully, yeah, fingers crossed, this has broken down some of the stigma. 
you also kind of mentioned preconceptions around health and safety. How do you think we can encourage more young people or more females to be into the construction industry and the health and safety in general? Like I said, I was really fortunate in the fact that I could back up my training with on-site experiences and not everybody gets that opportunity. But what I would encourage employers to start doing is give people that opportunity. So, you know, encouraging people that are on like a graduate scheme, for example, to take a turn within the health and safety department. It, it never appears on the agenda for a graduate program. Let's get that on the graduate scheme um, so that they can just get a bit of a flavor and a bit of an insight into that. And I guarantee that people will come away wanting more. I think it's people like us who are fortunate enough to have this platform. Again, I'm really grateful for the for, for your time in this podcast today, but let's use it positively. Use this platform to be an advocate for health and safety. My role is so, so diverse, like craneless right the way through to science labs. You know, it's not just typically hard hat and boots. It can be anything that you want it to be. We're constantly developing new apps for inspection or audit or capturing examples of, of good practice. There's definitely a role to suit absolutely everybody. And I think that the industry leaders, who are already doing a great job, by the way, but we just need to keep pushing and keep being the advocates for encouraging people new into the industry, new, young, female, male, anybody. If you're thinking about an, a, a career within health and safety, give it a try. It's just knowing where to go to get these types of experiences. Yeah, I think uh, exposure is really important in what a health and safety uh, professional does. And I think that education would be really key, great to have basically for universities and for schools, just to see what the role entails. Statistics around suicide in construction continue to rise. In fact, the latest data from the ONS indicates that workers in construction are now nearly four times more likely to take their own lives compared to other sectors. What do you think can be done at smaller levels, such as on-site, and what needs to be done on a larger scale to help? Yeah, good question. I think the larger scale can actually help the smaller scale individuals. Um, so larger companies, for example, that are running initiatives to try and promote even just talking about it as a subject should include, you know, the, the smaller one man bands or smaller companies to take part in that. So I certainly know that when we were on a, a large development site in the middle of Manchester, for example, we would often encourage other companies to come in and join us whilst we were doing sort of safety stand downs or getting in guest speakers from the Samaritans or whoever it may be. Um, so I would probably encourage that across the industry. Um, that way, the, the smaller companies have, have got, again, exposure to that for free as well. Probably a good suggestion from me was uh, to do sort of anonymous questionnaires. I found this to be quite useful in the past. So we are talking about doing campaigns and um, and it's often what we think good looks like. But by doing anonymous questionnaires into actually what are the stressors you know, what does have a negative impact on your mental health? If we give people the opportunity to talk to us anonymously, we can then gather that feedback and make 
the campaigns target them specifically and um, so we were really surprised once on a project that we did in Cardiff we put out the anonymous questionnaires to everybody who was working on that site and we probably had an idea in our mind of what the biggest stressor was but actually when it came back that it was really simple things just like they weren't able to eat nutritious food um, at the right time you know they couldn't get access to all of that because they arrive on site really early to beat the traffic so really simple steps like that helped the workforce to feel as though they were listened to and then we did something about it so we would put then nutritious breakfast in you know at an early morning slot for them to be able to get to that just really simple stuff I don't even think we need to overthink it I just think it's really small stuff that makes a big difference we need to keep it on the agenda and we need to make sure that it doesn't remain a buzzword before we move on to something else. We really must be serious about making a change. I know lots of companies are, but I also know that lots of companies are kind of doing this as a bit of a tick box. Um, I'm all for mental health first aiders, for example, because I feel as though if they make a difference to one person, then that is a huge difference, but it's not the answer. Being reactive is not the answer. It's too late, in my opinion. If a mental health first aider spots the signs, we need to be doing more proactively to prevent that person from getting to that point. It's a really big industry commitment that we all need to buy into. And I feel like your example of just kind of food at earlier times, it's just small things like that the workers can see are making a change and then they can hopefully open up a little bit more and more um, to larger issues for them, maybe mental health issues as well. So it's a great step to just kind of break into that as well, um, which is great. Um, so, so finally, you're on this year's editorial board for SHP. What are you looking forward to about sitting on the board? Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Like I say, it's a platform. It's a platform, hopefully, to share positive insight into our industry. I want to be a voice for people, um, again, helping us to spot and target trends early as possible help out some of the smaller organizations again that who aren't as fortunate as we are to have such a big health and safety team see us as an extension of their team and yeah just keep promoting positively so I was just about to mention actually about the signpost in fact with regards to your last question there is stuff that is happening out there within the construction industry around mental health and suicide, but not everybody knows it. So use us as a bit of a conduit and a, and a voice to share that information to help signpost people to the right place, I guess. Since this podcast was recorded, which was back in February of this year, Rachel and I caught up again a few weeks later, and Rachel wanted to add more comment on the talent shortage and importance of qualifications in health and safety. Here's what she said. Like many at the minute, there's a huge skills shortage in our industry. So if anyone's thinking of joining health and safety or construction, and this podcast inspires just one person to join, it served its purpose. Having left my first job and gone out working as a solo health and safety manager, it was important for me to back up the skills I'd learned with qualification and with a bit of grit and determination. In 2016, I became the youngest chartered female through IOSH, and most recently, in January 2022, I became the youngest chartered female fellow in the world and youngest fellow in Europe, or so it was at the time, just before having my first child in the March. So come on, ladies, get chartered and become fellow. There are more required.
And despite some of the mixed feedback the institution are getting at the moment, it is still such a huge process that you should be extremely proud of. And who knows where it could take you. Hopefully this inspires people. I mean, I started off as a receptionist at a construction company and this year in May, I will officially be chair of the Manchester and North West District branch of IOSH, which I'm really excited about. And literally, if I can do it, anyone can. I've never been very academic, but most definitely have passion and enthusiasm. And if you do too, safety and health is definitely a career for you. And then she highlighted a personal story on why mental health and the communication of not feeling okay is so important. I haven't spoken about this publicly before, but the reason I'm so passionate about this subject is because I lost my own father to suicide. And my only wish is that he sought help. So if anyone out there is really struggling, the construction industry have their own support lines. There's the Lighthouse Club, Construction Industry Helpline and the App 2 as well as charities, Mind and Calm. And of course, there's the Samaritans too. We can share details of these at the end of the podcast if that helps. It took a bit for me to share that, to be honest, and I might ask for that to be taken back out, who knows. But maybe it is a sign of the times. It was always a taboo subject, but like I say, it might be a a sign of the times changing and how people feel that we can more publicly open up to other people. I would definitely agree. It is a sign of the times changing and being brave enough to get that message out there is a feat in itself. So thank you for sharing, Rachel. A lot of interesting points from Rachel, the variation of health and safety, encouraging young people into the sector through training, mental health and her methods of controlling risk at work. There is so much scope and capability within health and safety. So it was great to shine a light on Rachel's career and hopefully inspire others. I'd like to thank Rachel for joining me on this episode. And if you're new to Safety and Health podcasts, please do go back and check out our previous episodes. Last time out, we heard from two speakers from Proud to be Safe, an organisation of motivational speakers who share personal stories about the impact of workplace accidents and of mental ill health. If you like what you hear, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or where you get your podcasts from. We are also available on your smart speaker. Simply ask to play the Safety in Health podcast. We'd be really grateful if you can rate us and comment on your chosen platform, as that will help us get the shows out to a wider audience. Please do stay tuned into shponline.co.uk for the very latest health and safety news, where you can also sign up to our daily e-newsletter. Thank you for listening and see you on the next episode.